welcome to the 15th episode of Outsiders. Outsiders is a podcast that features innovative women, queer culture, and conversation. I am your host, Julia Curtis Burns, and today I am joined by Dr. K. Nibs. And what do you do, Dr. K. Nibs? Um, well, I'm a doctor. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm an anesthesiologist. So what, a, what does that mean? Like, what, I mean, I know, but not really. What does it mean to be an anesthesiologist? Well, all right. So I guess the most important thing is we're sort of the internal medicine physicians of the operating room. So anytime anyone's having any kind of surgery or procedure, we're there not only to put people to sleep and provide pain control, but also to keep them stable and to wake them up. Which is mm-hmm. which is the most important part, the waking up. Um, so that's the part where you like get some sort of like laughing gas or something like that, and they say count backwards to ten from ten, and then you're like, I feel fine. And you're like having a full legit conversation, and then all of a sudden you don't remember anything. Sometimes, not oh. always. Sometimes, not okay. everybody gets laughing gas. Okay, how do you choose what you get to give people? Like, is it for a certain age group or? So I mean, we have a lot of sort of usual medications that we use for everyone, but it, it's very procedure-specific. Oh, okay. And obviously, patient-specific in terms of um, how sick someone is or how healthy someone is, mm. the amounts that you give people, mm-hmm. how the weight, how much they weigh, or different things like that. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. I thought, like, it was just one procedure. And so we're at... Can I say where we are? Mm. We're at Mount Sinai, I actually had my first ever surgery here. Really? When I was eight years old, I had my tonsils and adenoids removed because I had a serious case of sleep apnea. Okay. So I would stop breathing like in the middle of the night. And it was like my first major surgery, but it was really great. And I'm so happy that I did that because now people will sleep over in my house and not complain. <laughs> I used to have friends who were like, I don't want to sleep over because you snore really loudly. But anyway... Um, so one of the things I like to talk about on Outsiders is how we identify. So what are some terms that you feel comfortable claiming or suit you best? I think there's there's one term that I pretty much use exclusively, and I think that would be queer. Um, I think it fits. I think it fits for me in terms of both gender and and sexuality. Hmm. Why queer? Um, why queer? It's it's like the word that I've I've felt the most comfortable using. Even growing up, I was never really comfortable with the word lesbian. Um, I never really felt like that fit me because of sort of what I felt my gender to be, especially as I grew older and sort of process that a little bit more for myself. Mm. Do you want to talk about what you mean about your gender? Sure. Um, so I guess for me, I don't necessarily feel in terms of my gender more like a woman or more like a man, mm. if that makes sense. And so I felt like queer was just sort of, not necessarily a blend, but just sort of both and and also neither just sort of a sort of a mix mm. it's like, that's kind of weird to say but 
Um, no, that's not weird. It's I like that. So, so I, I feel like it's just it's just sort of other. Mm. Other. Yeah. I know. I feel like that all the time. I feel like another because I'm not quite very feminine right. and I'm not that masculine. I'm kind of in between. So queer is a cool term. So what got you interested in the medical field? I mean, it's a long process, no? It's a long process that I just finished. Congrats! Um, about a year ago. Yeah. Thank you. And you're <laughs> but, young. You're like... I can't guess. Black don't crack. I don't know. I can't I know. Tell. Every, literally, probably four people yesterday told me how young I looked. Um, and I, I pretty much get that. Right? I'm 31. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's really good one. So I, th- I think most most of it sort of stems from dealing with a lot of health issues in myself when I was a, a child, and then also my youngest sister having a lot of health issues and being around these physicians who I just sort of grew to admire and kind of respect, and just wanting to grow up and, and do what they did every mm. day. Um, so for the longest time, I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician, which, when I actually was in medical school, just did not work out. It just did not work out that way. It did not work out because you didn't I didn't want. like it. I didn't oh. like it the way that I thought I would. Because it just wasn't I, your thing? It just thing. wasn't my thing. You know, mm. in medical school, you go through different rotations, you know, surgery, medicine, pediatrics, all these different things, and the idea... Not only is you know to learn about all these different specialties, but to figure out what fits for you, and it just didn't fit mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anesthesiology was something you really liked. Yeah, anesthesia fit for me. Um, I really like to be in the OR. I like that whole operating room. Oh yeah, operating room. Sorry. <laughs> um, are we in the operating area? We are in. We are near to the operating area. We are not in the operating area. I mean, area. I mean, I, I, yeah. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> um, cool. We're, like, yeah. super close. I feel like I'm in ER, like, or... What's the other show? Grace. Grey's Anatomy. Which is, like, the... Fa- it's very painful. It's, I, I've been watching that show since the first season, but it is the most painful thing for me to watch. Wait, why is it? Because it's so not right? Because or? it's so not real. Yeah. It's not on point at all? There are things that just don't make any sense. Like, Especially being an anesthesiology... Uh, anesthesiologist, like you would almost assume that anesthesiologists didn't exist because surgeons in that show do every single thing, Aww. even the things that we do. So it's, yeah. So you're watching it and you're like, this is ridiculous. This is yeah, but so, I mean, I've been watching for, what, like 11 years. So. <laughs> cool, okay. And so how long did it take from, I guess, college, right? Mm-hmm. You were pre-med to... Mm-hmm. Right now, well, obviously. So, I mean, obviously, so four years of college, four years of medical school, depending on your, depending on what specialty you want to do, your residency is different, a differing amount of years. It could be anywhere, I think, between three and seven years. And then you can do a fellowship after that. So my residency was four years, and then I did a one-year fellowship after that. And what was the fellowship it was here at Mount Sinai? Yeah, so my fellowship was in obstetric anesthesiology. So we're actually on the labor floor right now. Oh, this is where the babies are born? Yes. I'm so hyped <laughs> on this podcast. Okay. So why did you choose obstetrics? Um, I like I like the, the mix 
of patients. You can have obviously very healthy patients here because most people having children are young and healthy, but you can also have a lot of high risk patients. Um, at times you obviously get to care for the mother and the baby. Um, it can be very challenging. It could, you know, you could have sort of a boring day and everything's kind of going on along and then you can have someone who is like hemorrhaging to death. Oh you know, on the same day. Mm-hmm. And so just having that variety and having that challenge, I, I mean, I really appreciated that about the specialty. And also there's a lot of sort of instant gratification. You know, people, they call you when they're in pain. You come and you, you do what you do, like give an epidural or whatever. And, and just like that, you're their best friend. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, do the majority of births here have... Like, do the mothers uh, yeah, I would say probably about, I'd probably, uh, maybe about 90% of patients, 85% of patients here have epi- uh, take epidurals during labor, mm. as long as there's no other contraindica- contraindication or any reason why they, they couldn't have it. Okay. Um, and what is considered a high-risk pregnancy? Um, so, anyone with sort of any pre-existing issues, like, heart disease, um, and then there's, I mean, obviously there's other things, but any kind of pre-existing, we have people come here who've had, like, liver transplants or kidney transplants or... Before they've given birth. Or even needed to have a transplant during the pregnancy, different things like that. And then there's things specific to pregnancy that makes them a little bit more high-risk, preeclampsia. Preeclampsia is a disease of pregnancy where, where patients, it usually manifests with really high blood pressure okay and that really high blood pressure can lead to seizures and, and, and stroke and it also messes up with their their ability to, for their blood to clot so they mm. they can have issues with bleeding oh wow does your age affect your risk of um you know like having a high-risk pregnancy for example like you know people i'm, I'm 30 now I still haven't had children. I would like to have children, you know, but people are like, well, your 20s is the best time to have kids. The older that you get, the higher the risk of pregnancy. Um, My mom had me when she was 42 years old, and I think I came out okay. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. um, I mean, I guess, they. so they say that you are a, what we call AMA, or advanced maternal age, at 35. Okay. That being said... We do have a large sort of what we would call high-risk population that's seen by those particular OBGYNs. And I've had patients as old as, I think the oldest patient I've had here uh, was probably 56, 55, 56. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's really just about... The condition that you're in as a person when you're getting pregnant right. and, and, and like how you maintain your body and it's not really about it's also about the technology and stuff that, I mean you know IVF and everything like that okay in vitro oh and, right okay I mean probably if you're 56 having a baby it's also probably not your egg so there some people donate egg you know people donate so that people can have families mm-hmm. this way if that's what they choose Hmm. Interesting. What is the most challenging thing you've learned on your medical journey so far? And what's the most rewarding thing for you? Um, 
challenging thing I've learned is that even if your goal is to save everyone, you can't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you have you seen like? I don't know if I can ask this, but have you seen deaths deaths before? Yes, I've seen deaths well, before. There have been pregnancies. Not in, not here. I have not. Oh, not on this floor. No. Okay, but in but, other... uh, but in other areas, I don't do just do obstetrics. I do uh, um, obstetrics in general. I see that. Oh, so. okay. So you move between the floors. Mm-hmm. And what's been the most rewarding thing? I mean, the most rewarding thing for me, I guess, just on a day to day basis, are sort of these little victories. Like yesterday, for example, I got called because a baby was born and it everything seemed okay but then the baby wasn't breathing mm. so then I you know I get called in and I resuscitated the baby and the baby turned out fine like oh. little things like that kind of make it you know make it worth it mm. mm-hmm. wow and is or do you have the ability once you like so you're an anesthesiologist right do you have the ability to move into another I guess medical area if you feel like want to change your specialty later on or is this kind of your set what do you mean like if i wanted to be a surgeon or something yeah um yes you could you could change but you still have to go through residency over again so So you would have to go through it four years more surgery is actually general surgery is actually five years but you would have to redo a residency you can't just sort of walk from one specialty to the other okay so you have to sort of make your decision in in the early stages of your focus and um, really be sure about that being the field that, or that being the specialty that you want to get into. Yeah, I mean, I have a couple of friends who came from other specialties, but they were still residents at the time. Mm-hmm. And so they were like one or two years into their residency and then they switched to an anesthesiology residency. I've also known people who were, were attendings, meaning like they finished their residency. Attending is sort of like an academic term where you sort of oversee residents and you teach. Um, oh, okay. And so they were attendings in other specialties and then decided to do anesthesia. It seems like a cool field. I mean, you have a really important job. Make sure everybody's okay. Right. And they're not, like, wake up in the middle of right, surgery, exactly. like those horror movies that they always Which have. Which very rarely happens, <laughs> by the way. Wasn't there a movie called, like, Awake? And, yeah, and the Hayden Christensen, I think. Yeah, and, and and the person like wakes up in the middle of so I didn't but see he it. Couldn't it move. looks scary, so I didn't watch it. I don't do scary movies. Oh, well, well um, <laughs> yeah, I mean that. I mean it is a thing, anesthesia awareness. It's something that does exist, but it's exceedingly rare. Mm-hmm. It's just that you, when people make these types of movies, it's all people kind of associate with anesthesiology. Is is the this being awake guy? You know, probably a couple times a month, I have a patient who will say to me, you know. Am I going to wake up in this, or please don't let me wake up? Mm-hmm. I've never had anybody wake up before. And there would be indicators... <laughs> right, knock on wood. There would be indicators, right, that would tell you that they're going to wake up. Right, I mean, we're in there monitoring. Like, we're in there monitoring people. Wiggling their fingers or something? I don't know. I'm not sure. Oh. Vital signs, different things like that. Mm-hmm. Actually, like, looking at your patient, you should be able to tell what's going on. Mm-hmm. So if you had... Because you have an amazing career. But if you had like an alter ego career, what would it be and why? An alter ego career? Yeah, like, 
Yeah. I think when I when I had some I had some times during my training where I didn't know if I was gonna make it. <laughs> it was a lot. Um, and I thought like what else could I possibly do? Mm-hmm. And I thought about going to like a culinary institute. Do mm. so you enjoy cooking? Yeah. A lot. Yeah, I probably cook like three or four times a week. I mean that also depends on my schedule, which can be kinda tight, but mm. I tried I tried to. I love cooking. It's helped my health so much. Um, so you said it got tough for you. And what motivated you to keep going when it was really hard? Because I can imagine, you know, I think it's not easy. I think I, I have a really strong relationship with my mom, um, mm-hmm. which I think sort of pushed me through. Um, just that motivation. And I never, I've never been sort of a quitter in my life in general. So like when I, when I've made goals for myself, I've, I've carried out almost all of them because I just sort of get focused mm. that way. And then, you know, just venting and then being able to have someone to vent and to, and just sort of give you advice and, you know, just trying to encourage you and things like that. I mean, that's what she did for me, mostly. So, in addition to your mom, have you, or do you have a um, mentor in the medical field that has helped you as well? Um, I had a mentor in, like, I had my medical school mentor who I, I thought we had a pretty great relationship. And when, you know, when things got particularly challenging, I was able to just sort of go to her office and have, have that encouragement mm-hmm. there. Um, and then just going through, even in residency, there's a couple of people who I can sort of lean on as well. Mm-hmm. And then now, here I am, past that. Yes, um, you are. Also. <laughs> but I see, you know, there's still that, that need for mentorship since mm-hmm. I'm still pretty junior um, on the staff. Mm-hmm. So I guess you now have, like, a network of staff that you can connect to. Because I think mentorship is, like, the most important thing. So when we're going through our education, right? Like we have professors, we have our teachers in high school, et cetera. But when you get older, it's kind of hard to find mentors. And it's not necessarily about the person that's assigned to you. It's also sometimes mentors come to you because, I don't know. Like you just sort of meet this person and you you have like a sort of shared interest and then they sort of take you under their wing a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's a program here that's... um, for minority faculty of color mm. and it's like faculty scholars or something and so I'm a part of that and so I have meetings with people and they just sort of try to keep me on track and you know I relate to them my goals and they just sort of help me make sure that I'm, I'm meeting those mm. sort of milestones. What does it mean to you to be queer, black, and a doctor? I don't know if I really even think about it that way. Mm. How do you think about it? I really, I don't really think about it. I don't. I mean, I think other people think about it for me mm. in weird ways, like walking down the hallways. Oh, you know, I sometimes I get stopped by older black people just like saying they're proud of me. Like patients? Anybody? Pa- oh. I've had patients tell me they're proud of me. I've had, you know, staff tell me they're proud of me, and these are people I obviously don't did not know before they started talking. Mm. Um. So that took, I mean, you know, that, I'm used to it now, but in the very beginning, that took a little bit of getting used to. The people saying uh, that. People, like, like I was doing something for our people, kind of. It was, it was a little bit weird. 
But you that, for me, that's a little bit weird. That's weird. Because yeah. I mean, how many doctors of color are in your department right now? Uh, probably about of color, like broadly, maybe five or six. And how many are black women? Um, three. There was a couple more. We just they left. Two just left recently, but um, still three. Yeah, three. three? Okay. Mm-hmm. And how many are out? Any? It's not for me or specifically black. None. Me. Okay. Specifically not black. A lot. Yeah. Actually. That's great. <laughs> Our program is very. That's, I mean, that's one of the things that drew me to, like, doing residency here and staying here was just sort of the environment, which is very open and accepting here. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are out, actually. That's really important because yeah. in a lot of uh, work settings, you can't be out or you feel as though expressing your sexuality or your gender is something that's not acceptable. Right. I mean, in when I, you know, when I was in medical school and, and then applying for residencies and having these thoughts about it, everyone you know, would say that medicine is very kind of much an old boys club and it's very mm. conservative. And so it was kind of scary to think about being, or rather to think about having to compromise myself in any way because I was out in med school. And when I interviewed here, you know, our chairman at the time, he, I mean, he's the president of the hospital system now and he's gay. And yes. he's, you know, obviously out and and very sort of open and accepting. And so that makes the whole rest of, like, the trickle-down of everyone else be sort of open. Mm. Um, so he sort of, like, set the tone right. that it's, that it's an it's open okay. environment. Like bringing, like, bringing a partner to a holiday party is, like, nothing to sort of bat your eye at. You know? Oh, well, that's awesome that you feel comfortable in your space. Um, so I think you are innovative in the fact that there are three other black or three total black women in your department, right? That's what you said? True. <laughs> Wait, that's not true. It's really sad. To th- when you say it out loud like that, it's actually really sad. Well, but, that's why I think that's amazing, you know? And that's why it's probably people come up to you and they're like, thank you. Because people do perceive our... I mean, I don't know if you agree with this, but in my experience, I think the first thing people see about me is either, oh, she's gay or she's black or both at the same right. time. And then maybe, like, I'm a woman after that. Um, So we sort of walk through life experiencing it through the eyes of other people or how we are perceived. So, I mean, what to you... How would you define being innovative for yourself? I don't know. I think you sort of just defined it a little bit. I have no idea. I never really... I don't really think of myself as being innovative. So it's kind of a hard question to answer. Mm. Do you see yourself as a change maker? Mm. Not especially. What do you mean by a change maker? Well, in the sense that you're going into a field where you're one of, you know, a small group. So that is sort of like you are breaking a barrier that 
Yes, of course. There have been black doctors for a really long time. My family is, you know, has a line of black doctors. Yes, a lot of them were men, not women. And, um, you know, to be in this time of 2016 and you're out and, you know, you're a woman and you're 31 years old. That's amazing. So own that. You know what? I'm just going to say, when I contacted Kay, I was like, oh, do you want to do an interview? And she's like, I don't know. But I think she has a lot of interesting things going. And, you know, you got to embrace that because that's powerful. And not everybody can say, oh, I'm 31 years old and I'm an anesthesiologist. So I want to say congratulations to you. Thank you. And one more thing. What is a a day in the life like for you like on a typical day what's your schedule like because you said you worked a post oh you so said... I was on call last night yeah what does that mean so um I take a few calls a month but what a call is is when you're sort of for us it's in-house which means we have to be in the hospital and you basically have to be here for a certain number of hours overnight so for us if we're here on the weekend I have to be here for 24 hours if I do a call during the week, I'm here for 16 hours, generally speaking. Coming in the afternoon and then leaving in the morning the next day. And so... It's, but that's not every day. Yeah, so like on a typical day, you work like 9 to 5? No. On a typical oh. day, I work more like 6.30 to when they say I can leave. Okay. Which can be anywhere from 3 to 10, depending on what's going on. Okay. And that's a lot of time. So how do you maintain your work-life balance? Because that's, I mean, that's the question, you know? So, um, it's challenging. Um, But, you know, I wake up, I I come to work. Hopefully, if it's a, hopefully, on a regular day, I'm out of here by 6 o'clock. So it's not like, it's not like I'm here till 10 o'clock every Mm -hmm. night. Um, I try to spend some time with my partner who's in school right now and to be in medical school? No, no, in law school. Okay. Um, and so our schedules are sort of the opposite because she goes to class at night. So we try to spend that, those couple of hours before class and after work for me, Mm. like making dinner, like just spending some time together and then, you know, I, I, I go out, I, I, you know, I read, I... Do you meditate? I actually, I meditate sometimes. Um, I was trying to get into it like a couple of months ago. It sort of faded off a little bit, but I might, I might try to get back into that. Um, you know, I work out. I like just try to get out there and, yeah. and do things and not just like sit around at home all the time. Yeah. I think it's really good to have things outside of work because otherwise we can go a little crazy or get very stressed. Indeed. And this is a very, it can be very high stress job you can imagine so it's good to have those those outlets so what books you said you read a lot what are some of your top recommendations uh, for right now or stuff that you're just, just like really what, what into? i just like read yeah I just, um, i'm reading this well i just read this book called um the sellout mm. by paul Beatty, which is about this guy this black guy who ends up like owning this i mean in current day times owning this slave even though he doesn't want to this guy like sort of what? makes himself his slave um and he sort of tries to reinstitute segregation in his town 
in order to make it better. It's a very. It sounds. Wait, crazy. Wait, wait, wait. It's it's also satirical, but okay. it's uh, but um, so, it sounds crazy, but it's actually really good. The African American man yes. owns a, another African American yes. person in modern day times. You said yes. I was like, hmm. so he ends up at the Supreme Court, and like all these random things happen. But um, that's a pretty good book. Um, I'm reading this book right now called Black Deutschland. Um, by by Daryl Pinkney, which is about this gay black man who goes to Berlin to sort of start his life o- over. Mm. Um, so that's sort of I'm trying to work my way through that right now. That's cool. Awesome. So before we go, mm-hmm. I have this thing about spirit animals you don't have to answer it if you don't want to because some people are like what the hell are you talking about julia but if you feel like you have a spirit animal what would it be and why it would be a lion hmm. <laughs> <laughs> why um, i don't know i always sort of randomly thought i don't really actually know why i mean my hair i always felt like was sort of a mane hmm. she has when locks out, when it was when it's out long locks um so i just always sort of thought of myself as a lion sort of as a joke but I guess it fits. That's the only thing I can think of. Hmm. That's what I think of too. I think of a lioness, though. You know, because I feel like they're kind of the ones who get all the work done. Yeah, they're kind of like humble in the background. Mm-hmm. They don't get as much credit, but they're the ones that like hold everything down, and you know, I don't know, really make sure that everything is going on for their. What about household. you? I think a bird. Okay. Specifically, a hummingbird. Okay. Because they're so tiny. But they serve a really important purpose, and I feel like on Earth, I am one person, and I'm small being, but I have purpose, and I, you know, there's stuff that I came here to do, and so I guess that's my that's, that's my cool. spirit animal. Cool. Do you have a favorite quote or um, mantra that you live by? Um, yeah, just pulling out the phone. I want to get it. It's an Audrey Lord quote. Yes, Audrey um, Lord. Her birthday was like a couple days ago, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, this is this is it right here. Um, if I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and being alive. Wow. Can you say that one more time? Sure. If I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive. Hmm. And why is that something that you live by? Because it took me a long time to sort of be comfortable defining myself for myself. Hmm. Outside of letting people sort of tell me who I was and who they perceived me to be. And I think now... I'm finally at that that comfortable place where I know who I am and I'm and I feel comfortable letting other people know that this is who I am as well. Mm. It's a long journey, yeah. right? To be comfortable with oneself. It's taken me a really long time. I'm only now like reflecting outside the way that I always saw myself in my head. Yeah, that you know? took a while. Yeah. Or at least it, through college, like outside of college into med school, 
and then obviously now more now because I'm grown up. <laughs> I could do that. But um, yeah, like in school, it was very hard. And people had a lot of sort of ideas about who you were, or what you should look like if. Um, hmm. And I'm, I think I'm, I'm in a good place right now. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Who you are and what you should look like if what? What do you mean? Uh... Well, Come on, give me a little, give me a little bit. Like, I think I just, I struggled a lot with my identity, at least in the beginning of college. And I didn't really know how to express that outwardly, or I didn't necessarily feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then when I sort of started feeling more comfortable as time progressed, it was always like, you're if you if you're sort of identifying yourself in this way, then you're not doing this enough. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Or you don't look this enough. Mm-hmm. And you just you know, I mean you've gotta to get to a place where you're just comfortable in how you present yourself and you, you can't have you know, your look can't be somebody else's look or doesn't should not have to be someone else's look necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could be, you know, you could sort of dress how you want to dress and still feel how you feel. It doesn't matter. One doesn't make the other. Mm-hmm. I thought that I was really comfortable with who I was until I got to college because mm-hmm. when I got to college, the first thing that was said to me was, oh, did you join the black student group on campus? And I was like, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and I immediately felt categorized. Not that I'm not, not that at that time I wasn't, you know, proud to be black, but I felt like I either, you know, could only be gay or I could be black, but there was no kind of like just complete package of like what, what, who I actually was. So I, I identify with that a lot. Like I struggled a lot with, well, who do I have to align myself with in school? You know, what organizations can I be a part of? And what do I have to look like in order to be a part of those organizations? And I think as um, as Black people, but also as queer people who are also Black, it's a big struggle because claiming terms is a big deal. And... I had to learn that it was okay to be everything that I felt I identified with all at once. Yeah. So I know, I know what that's like, and, and I totally identify with that. Um, I used to think, oh, well, I have to dress a certain way to get the ladies, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but now, I mean, I just dress it's what... how you want to do. Yeah. I mean, and, and when you're confident in how you look and you feel, like, that just attracts people to you. Exactly. As opposed to just having to be some, you know, very specific ideal. And Kay has great style. I, I, I approve. <laughs> I love it. Um, so if there is a young person, maybe they're in high school right now, mm-hmm. and they're interested in getting into the medical field, what advice, what are some tips that you have for them? I think if they're interested, they should probably find someone local like a local physician, or it could even be like their own pediatrician or someone like their parents' physician, um, and just try to shadow or talk to them and just to, to get an idea. Um, it's and then also you know it's a it's a long road, 
And, you know, a lot of people think that, or a lot of people sort of go into college thinking that they're going to be, they want to be doctors and a lot of people just don't make it. And I would just say if, you know, if it's something that you really want to do and you feel very passionate about, so like just not be, just, just not be discouraged Mm. because it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy, but if it was easy, everybody would do it. That's right. So find, just find good mentors and find people who are willing to like sit down and talk with you about everything, you know, about their own personal experiences and really sort of figure out if that sounds like something you want to do. I mean, it's really hard to say in high school that what is it like 12 years later that, you know, (laughs) are you still going to want to do this? Um, But I mean, I think, I mean, obviously there are people out there who know it then and yeah. Did you know it then? Yeah, I knew it then. Yeah, and it's sort of just like a commitment that you made to yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just just took it four years at a time. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Four years of a, four years at a time is a significant chunk, yeah. you know. Well, I am really happy that you joined me on the podcast today, and I'm thankful for you know the work that you do. I think you're very innovative, and it takes a lot of courage to keep at something, and then you know break barriers so kudos to you we will oh yeah of course um we'll be back next week with another episode but in the meantime say what you need to say do things that make you feel good and be awesome bye bye